You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 129, covering Rightful Air and Second Chances with Kevin Lynch. Friends, it's our pal Flonk with us this time. Hi, Flonk. It's been... Hi, everybody. What, weeks since we've had you on? Oh. Moments? Has, it, Has really? it been moments? I think I yeah I had the beginning of last season and then the end of this one, so I didn't really plan the spacing very well. We are at the end of this season. Matt was just pointing that out. That is so unusual. Yeah, I was looking at the list and it's like, wow, two left. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, we're almost there. And I've been totally wrong. I said this before. I've been totally wrong about season six. Season six has been actually the best season I think we've done. Yeah, like overall. overall? Yeah, but... I was right about season seven. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I was wrong, and I went through the list. Like, nope, this one sucks. This one sucks. This one sucks on toast. This one sucks out loud. These, these this are all one terrible. sucks toast out loud. Yeah, just all terrible. There's like three good episodes, and one of them is the finale. This one toasts out suck. Yep. Do we have any toast? Um, right now I want toast. No, but I had pizza and ice cream, which <sighs> if you're anything like these two guys, now you're hungry for pizza and ice cream, so you're welcome. Al, you're the worst friend. No, I want pizza with ice cream on top of it. Mm. What are you, a Ninja Turtle? And if so, do you want to hang out with me? (laughs) You guys just want to go to Chuck E. Cheese, I understand. Yeah, kind of. They got a Simpsons arcade game. Of course they do, where four people can play at the same time. Yeah, it was awesome. Just like the Ninja Turtles. Woe be on to you who got stuck playing Marge. (laughs) You don't like smacking people with a vacuum cleaner? I mean... If I have to. She's the TV mom whose hair is large. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about enough opening patter, Matt. Why don't you tell us about Rightful Hair? Right, so I, uh, my episode was Rightful Hair, the Mr. Mod episode. <laughs> it's a Thursday, so it's time for Worf to have some Klingon shit to run off and do. This time, Worf has a batleth up his ass about those Klingon kids he found in Birthright Part 2. Remember them? And all the bullshit he told them about Klingon god Kalis, despite their parents, and how he doesn't actually believe any of it. So he burns his quarters down, trying to worship the Klingon version of the Academy Award, and Picard banishes him to Jabba's palace on Snow Day. There, Worf tries to reconnect with Kalis, or go on a spirit quest, or have a vision, or some religious bullshit, I don't know. Everyone's a little bit surprised when Worf finds God. Like, literally. In front of him. He just shows up one day. Which is pretty goddamn convenient when you're in the middle of your crisis of faith. So, it looks like the second coming of Kalis, and everyone is super excited. Except Worf, who spent far too much time among the godless enlightened of Starfleet. He tries to run some tests on Kalis, and when that doesn't work, gets into a sword fight with him. All in all, it's kind of a weird week. Ah, Mr. Worf, how did your religious experience go? God showed up and we got into a fist fight. So, good? When when you've had a chance to punch your god in the face, it goes a long way to restore your faith. So the Enterprise picks up Worf, Kalis, and some old priest guy, and then they contact Gowron, who rendezvous with them, bringing an old knife covered in old Kalis blood so they can run an old DNA test on him. The DNA matches, but the divinity tester's on the fritz again, so proving that he's actually a god is a little bit more difficult. Gowron is still wicked pissed because, let's face it, Gowron is always kind of wicked pissed, and in the least subtle metaphor of all time, church and state get into a fucking knife fight. Church loses by a TKO, and Worf and Priest Guy take Kalis back to his quarters to mop him with a sponge or whatever it is you do. Worf's faith takes a dip again, and then the priest explains that Kalis is actually a clone of the original Kalis, given all of Kalis' memories and stories and shit. Worf tells Gowron, and they decide to come clean and make Kalis a powerless emperor of the Klingon people, and that seems to make everybody happy, except Worf, who left the Enterprise worried that God wasn't real and came back with with scientific proof that he wasn't real. (laughs) Very nice. I'm particularly fond of when you've had a chance to punch your God in the face, it goes a long way to restore your faith. Right? (laughs) That's one of the better sentences you've written in a Hey, there's Jesus. Pow. Well, that proves he exists. Well, got that taken care of. Now, back to work. I think my favorite thing about this episode has absolutely nothing to do with anything at all, which is the fact that the Klingon High Priest was voiced by a dude named Alan Oppenheimer, who did the voice of, like, every character in every 80s cartoon ever. Yep. He was Man-at-Arms and uh, Merman on He-Man. Yep. He was Prime Evil on Matt's favorite cartoon, the Ghostbusters. Ah, why would you do that to me? (laughs) Ghostbusters! 
Incidentally, and he built the atomic bomb. Chanel does. He did well. He he and several other guys built the atomic bomb. Oh, okay. it wasn't just him, <laughs> but yes, and um, and a bunch of transformers. Falcor the luck dragon. And Fal- he's a luck dragon. And once you heard that, tell me, it wasn't it difficult not to hear that? Yep. Worf, why would you question your faith? I like children. <laughs> For breakfast? Oh, great. Now you've made me realize I have that entire movie stored in my subconscious somewhere. You're Thank welcome. You now you know how I feel every day. God, I hope not. Turn around, Al. Look at what you see. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell me a good thing? All right, I will. I love the character of Kalos in this. He is the perfect combination of Klingon myths as well as the joy and excitement that comes of every day being a Klingon. And when he makes his speeches, they come across as powerful and authentic. And I love how broken he is when he finds out he's just a clone. It's just, he, he all in all, he's just a great character. I also really dig what this episode says about faith and religion and a universe that where we've seen massive chunks of the galaxy and nowhere in it have we found a giant bearded guy who made everything. It's like... I don't know. Kirk might have run into one at some point. Yeah, it's just... Uh, well, yeah, he did. Well, okay. I remember that. Yeah, that's a good point. What did he need with a starship? It's like we may have, we may have, we may not have done that, but we, you know, we can still believe in something bigger and greater than yourself, and it's not stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty stouch atheist who came from a pretty religious family, and one of the reasons for that atheism, atheism is that we keep finding out more and more about the universe, and the more and more we find out, the less it we. I feel like we need it. But this episode rather nicely shows us a world where everyone knows that the return Messiah is a lie and doesn't give a shit because of their faith. Like, I may not personally believe that, but I do find it interesting. I actually, I think all three of us picked a good thing that was very similar. So, uh, why, yeah. why, don't you, uh, why don't you throw yours out there? I had that uh, Klingon Jesus had plenty of Klingon to counteract all the Jesus. When they start getting into all the resurrection stuff, your brain immediately just goes to you know a thinly veiled, Roddenberry, ham-fisted metaphor. <laughs> but Kalos is a Klingon, and he's a damn good one. And he's sick yeah, of he all is. the petty fighting between the houses, and he just wants to fight and have glory and honor for everybody. But we actually see what glory and honor mean instead of just mean guys pushing each other and saying glory and honor. And yeah. You get that feeling that both of you were saying that it's fun to be a Klingon. You hardly get that prior to that. He stops. He stops a fight with Worf and just starts laughing and just say, "Isn't this great? Yeah. It's it's a Klingon, weird combination man. of Jesus and Santa Claus." <laughs> well, <laughs> or he just shows up. All the good and honorable Klingons get toys and swords. It's going to be awesome for everybody. Yeah, but he's he doesn't shy away from the let's let's stab each other thing either. I mean. Well, that part's fun when you're a Klingon, too. Yeah, but that's neither Jesus nor Santa. There's got to be something else in there. I don't uh, know. It's certain you're types of Santa. Uh, that's fair. Wait, no, certain now you're talking more Krampus or, like, um, Black Peter or one of those. And I would love if Klingons had a Krampus. They probably do. I always thought of Black Peter as, like, the Venom to uh, Santa Claus's Spider-Man. <laughs> like the symbiote crashed into... Yeah, he had, like, a black suit with red one time. So he drives a van. <laughs> A fan tracked by eight reindeer. <laughs> Forget what I said about the cover art. I want this week's cover art to be Venom in his van. Yeah, you're driving. You're drawing that. <laughs> you're driving to the store to draw that. <laughs> no, I think I think we're interesting. Like we're we're very close to either completely degrading into Spider-Man references <laughs> or getting into a serious religious discussion here, and I'd much rather talk and, about Spider-Man, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, pretty yeah, much. The three of us are not the best, the, the people to be well, talking no. about religion, so... Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I actually... I also am not particularly religious. However, in fiction, I have a whole different attitude, which is I kind of expect people to be religious, and I kind of... You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't bother me there. Mm. Matt, I see you get upset at people. Like, no, there's no God. Yeah, but it's pretend. It's okay. Yeah, no, there's something about God showing up in fiction that really pisses me but off. God, Spe- but usually, is fiction. It's okay. yeah, I, I, I know. The thing is fiction. So, yes. but it's a different kind of fiction that I'm supposed to believe in it's over this. Getting other mad that a Dracula is fighting a Frankenstein. It's all made up. Who cares? Right. Exactly. The- See, but you just said something that sounded cool. Well, come on, Klingon Jesus, who who teaches Klingons how to have fun while fighting. I guess I guess that's my point for this episode is that I actually I really thought all of that was really cool, and I usually don't want you bringing your religion into my Star Trek. All right, and that's, I think, what Flonk is saying, too, is that, like, the character could yeah, have it been... Yeah, 
Yeah. It could have been like, or even uh, not even a, a Christian thing, but like when Apollo just shows up and he's Apollo. Yeah. Right? Like they, they, they could have gone down that road, but instead they, they're like, all right, if this guy is going to be the, the centerpiece of Klingon culture and their, their moral compass, what would he be like? Yeah, he, he needs and to embody really got into it. all Which isn't surprising that Ron Moore wrote it because this is like his deal. Well, yeah. and this, the, that, that ties into Both religion and Klingons are yeah. like his, his thing. That ties into my good thing, which is this is very much the kind of thing they do on Deep Space Nine later, showing that science and religion aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. There's, there's the whole, who was it, Asimov or somebody who said that, um, was it Asimov? No, it was Arthur C. Clarke, one of those guys. One of the, one of the big sci-fi greats said that uh, sufficiently advanced uh, technology is indistinguishable from magic. Like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's Clark. Right. Yeah, Clark. Thanks. Um, one of those guys with the big mutton chops. I don't know. <laughs> Good but, old mutton chops, Charlie. Right. The greatest sci-fi writer ever. <laughs> mutton chop Charlie is a character we made for something else. That was a weird is it really? Oh, God, it is too. Yeah, it was. I just like the flow of that name. Well. That's another thing for another time. Um, the um, but but the whole idea that magic science uh, maybe the same maybe not. It's it's a take on that whole stupid traveler mind and science are one thing only it actually yeah. works. Yeah, it's like it's not blatantly retarded, right? But which is nice. Klingon Jesus was supposed to come back. Nobody said he'd do it with magic. And great Star Trek explores those themes without coming down firmly on one side or the other. It is that stupid Roddenberry thing, only it's done well. It's, let's take something that people are talking about, that, that people think about, and put it in sci-fi terms. It's a clone, but it's the resurrection of Jesus. Well, what, mm. what would you do if your god just showed up one day? I do think it says a lot about Klingon religion that, you know, they flat out say in the mo- in the episode that they have proof he exists. They have a knife with his blood on it. Yep. You well, know, that would so, be like if a clone well, yeah, showed we, up. Well, yeah, but we do have. Turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we don't have any pieces of his body. Well, unless you fall into that they, the wine they, and bread bullshit. The Shroud of Turn allegedly has his blood. Yeah, it has, it, it has like, it really? an imprint of his face on it. Yeah. Because huh. it, it was, yeah. There's There's been tests. There's been all kinds of. I don't know. I, that's, and that's the thing. I was really worried that we would get into this whole thing because, yeah, we are all very of a certain mentality when it comes to this kind of thing. And yep. we all have a certain certain disdain for that sort of thing. But I, I don't know. I'd rather just focus on this as a story. And as a story, I think it works incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well. And, I mean, Matt and I are huge Klingon fans, so it's always fun to just get an insight into their culture and how they work yeah. and all that. The thing is, I made some comments while we were watching, and it's not that I'm not a big Klingon fan. I totally am. But I think the Klingons and their culture work well with Starfleet stuff. I think by themselves, there's a lot of fans who say, I would love to watch a spinoff of nothing but Klingon stuff all the time. Yeah, you're talking to one. Uh, I think I would get bored with that pretty quickly. I think we need more than just the Klingons. No, I, I, I love it. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's about as close to fantasy as I want to get in my, uh, in my fiction. And I think it's too close to fantasy for me. I think it's too... There's too much dramatic close-ups of guys saying, we will stab this house in the back, and then we will... <sighs> Come on. No I, li- no, I like all that shit. It's More all robots. it's all epic in, like, the actual use of the word. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> that I want that in Star Trek. Big guys stabbing each other and fucking... Knife fights. Yeah. I'm not really into knife There's fights. There's two knife fights There's in this episode. Knife fi- two knife fights in caves. What's not science fiction about that? Well, right. <laughs> now... One of those caves is a hologram, so... And a clone was involved. Yeah, that's science fiction-y. Well... Uh... Tell me what's more science fiction-y than a clone, than a clone fighting in a hologram, Than a clone Al. war. Than a yeah. knife fight. Begun, these clone wars have. Uh, why don't one of you tell me a bad thing? Why not that? Flock. Oh, I lost my place. Matt, go. <laughs> It sort of dawned on me in this episode. I I talk about this briefly in my uh, in my summary, but fucking Worf takes more holidays than anyone in Star Trek ever. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's like he has to fuck off and do Klingon shit once every two months. This is gonna look really bad on your next performance review, Worf. I think mostly that's just uh, the way they pace the episodes. We just did uh, Birthright, mm. like only I don't know four or five episodes ago. If that, like that was really recent. It was. And I wonder if, you know, if maybe they put that at the beginning of the season, it might have been a little easier. On the other hand, 
there was a sliver of continuity. Hey, remember those guys I went and got? Yep. Now we're going to talk about them again. Like, wow, are we are we really... We're really getting towards the end of this show. We're pretending the things that happened before have an effect on what's happening now, huh? That's kind of throwing cool. all the rules out the window. Time, I guess. Well, better late than never, I guess. Yep. Uh, now we could just end the se- end the show at season six, and uh, we're all good. Right. End the show on a cliffhanger with descent. Yep. Yes, the Borg are everywhere. The end. Yep. <laughs> what a great that. show. That's when the Borg are everywhere. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. God, these Borg are everywhere. <laughs> Under the couch, I can't get rid of them. These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> I thought I told you. I thought I told you to get a Borg strip to hang up. Have you fumigated for the Borg yet? Have <laughs> <laughs> the dent to the gas. You got that logo that they have, that little hand logo with a circle and a line through it. <laughs> you know, because the Borg are all about logos. Yeah, exactly. They're all about, They're all about claws and yeah. logos. In Go Blaine. team Borg. Yes. It helps identify their brand. <laughs> yeah. It increases their Q rating in the universe. Their Q rating. Oh, come on. You're the worst. <laughs> it's a real thing. Yeah, I know when it's a real Q thing. Q shows up to judge how good a species you are. <laughs> I'd give you a three. Eh. Eh. No one ever gets over a five. No. All right, what about this? The Borg's clout score is really improved now. That's better. <laughs> they want you to fill out a survey. And they're putting their foots in, indoors at an 8th grade level. Their foots. <laughs> if you fill up the survey, you're entered in a drawing to get a free assimilation. <laughs> you're right, though, Matt. They do he, They do give Worf... Uh, Picard does this thing where he's like, you didn't come to work today. I, you know, at attention, Lieutenant. But he's like, yeah, you need some time off. It's cool, yeah. Matt. It, I, I was watching this on Netflix last night, and it has the most boring summary I've ever seen. Oh, God. It's like Worf takes some time off to get his issues in order. Well, maybe they I mean, didn't want no, to that's spoil act- the, It's fucking stupid. Maybe they didn't want to spoil the big, you know... Like, they don't say, this is the one with the clone of Kalos. Like, maybe they want people to actually be surprised by that. That would have been a good title for this episode. This is the one with the... No, only if it was Friends. In space. Yeah, well, all right. What? Two knife fights happen in a cave. <laughs> there's, there's your episode. No, one's a knife fight, one's a sword fight. Oh, all right then. Well, technically a bit le- a bat left fight. <sighs> Don't you technically make? Uh, well, actually, you that find one. that. Yeah, we established it on day one that we're not that show. I think that show stopped at like uh, the menagerie. That's true. There's two things we're good at: it's not caring about any facts whatsoever, <laughs> and not giving up. And, and watching the cage. And watching the cage. Are we watching the cage again? I think we might be. Oh, man. Or maybe the cave. Two guys fighting a cage. Oh. Well, how about you? Bad thing. Um, sticking with Worf, he is really inconsistent in this episode. Mm-hmm. First, he's a religious nut, missing work to get high on incest. And then when his vision quest doesn't work out in the first try, he just quits everything forever. Then Kalos appears and he believes him, but then he doesn't, but then he does, but then he doesn't. He just bounces back and forth depending on what the plot needs. See, I agree with you, but I also think it's a good sort of representation of what it's like to, you know, be questioning your faith. Yeah, but uh, Worf has always been established as kind of a... a I don't know if religious is the right term, but a, a Klingon belief. Very devout guy. Klingon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that he's always losing his, like, he'll lose his fucking honor at least once more. Yep. If not twice more. I mean, they make this huge deal out of out of life-altering Klingon stuff, and it happens a lot more than we think it does. Mm-hmm. But, and actually that sort of feeds into my bad thing, which is what an amazing coincidence that he's talking about Kalos, and then Kalos just happens to come back. Yep. What are the odds? Well, one in one, apparently. <laughs> They're like, they, they've been working on this thing for years. Oh, Worf's here. We better pull the trigger now. Well, they knew he had access to a ship. Well, yeah, nobody else has a ship, because how else do they get to the monastery? They walk, I guess. Well, you were just saying how fantasy it was. I guess nobody has a ship. They used a scrying pool to get there. <laughs> there you go. Listen. I don't play this card much, but this is my show, and if I hear the word scrying again, <laughs> I will shut this shit down. No scrying. They're scrying view screen? Oh, God. You guys are the worst. Anyway, so Worf uses scrying to... <laughs> You're fired. Oh. Yeah, I move up in rank. No, no, you were fired. I go first. play that sad Damn Charlie it. Brown music. 
Oh, uh, Christ. No, I, the I, fuck I, else happened in this one? <laughs> you know, Jesus came back. Yeah, there you go. I just, I, I, it was, it's weird to me that Worf is going through this crisis of faith and suddenly all this important stuff just happens, you know, while he's there. I think it's yeah. a little too convenient for the plot. I thought, when I first watched it, I thought there was a reason for that that I missed, but I guess there just isn't. No, there is not. Let's see, I have a note here that is a joke that only the two of you would understand anyway. Oh, that's fine. Oh, fun. Which is, I don't get to go on any visions. I would be a good vision guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Oh, and Kalis, uh, 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 when he appeared in the original series, didn't have ridges on his head, and how come he now has ridges? Shut up, person I just made up. <laughs> Shut up, Matt, from five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think you'll find. It was a bat leth. Yes. No, they. this is another good one where they uh, they do a good job of pulling together shit that showed up in, you know, old Trek. Yeah, no. We're talking about uh, Stovacor gets mentioned from, uh, was it Trek 5? It was Star Trek 5 when they're all talking about their different uh, conceptions of heaven. It was uh, Shakari and Stovacor and right. heaven. And I thought that was Literally the only good thing to come out of Star Trek 5. Apparently. And that's because Ron Moore just took threads from here and there and said, okay, let's let's make something out of this. He enjoys taking something terrible and, and spinning it into something good. So. Yes, yep. see Battlestar Galactica. Yes, not see the end of Battlestar Galactica. No, 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 not the end. Eh. Just Battlestar Galactica in a hole. In a hole. In see a it hole. in a hole, if you could. Peer down into your hole. Yes. Um, We get to see a lot of religious Klingons uh, having a schwitz. Yes, there is a lot of schwitzing in this one, and I would love to hear Michael Dorn say that. In elegant ball gowns. Elegant ball gowns! <laughs> Like, they're all wearing these robes, and they just look like really hideous prom dresses. They look super <laughs> comfy, though. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You know, we could spend the next ten minutes talking about Gowron's eyes again. <laughs> yeah, and we will. <laughs> yep. We could talk about Kalas and how much we loved his look. He's fucking great. Well, the Klingon makeup, I've been saying this for a while, it has been getting better and better, and they're just so much more elaborate and nice, ridgy heads now. And yeah, yeah, they show head. off some great forehead art in this one. Who did one of, one of you said he's got a nice walnut up there? Yeah, it really is like they just scanned. A, well, they didn't have scanners then, but they just took a walnut and blew it up and popped it on his head. <laughs> Here, wear this hat. Okay. And uh, then Mo okay, stuck that's... some googly eyes on there. <laughs> I actually I like the idea that they give the uh, the most important Klingon ever the biggest, most elaborate head ridge ever. I wonder if that's like a if that's deliberate or. I don't know. Yeah, or if they based it off of his, because uh, Worf's had that statue forever. That's, yeah, true. that's true. So maybe they based the two it off Klingons of that. wrestling. Yep. Yeah. That's Collis. <laughs> oh God, I forgot about that. So once again, Father, tell me about Collis. Once again, where the fuck is Alexander in all this? <laughs> just disappeared or what? Worf went He's on a just... bender and killed him again. Again. Alexander's been sitting in ten forward with a fishing pole this entire weekend, <laughs> waiting for Worf to show up. Sorry, buddy, I've got some yes. bad news. <laughs> Something <But> came father. up. <laughs> Apparently there was, a, there was a cut line in the script that, they, that he'd been shipped off to stay with his grandparents again. Really? Yep. Because I thought his grandparents made a point of saying, oh, no, 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 not again. Well, no, that, yep. that's that's just their their catch-all. Whenever there's a Worf story and they they have no room for Alexander, they're just like, eh, he's back on Earth this week. Yeah, he's out of town. Well, yeah, because if Worf went away to a monastery for what ten days, he was gone for like a month. Yeah, then somebody's got to be watching his kid. Maybe yeah. maybe Deanna's doing it. I like the idea. I like to think that uh, they ship her off to see uh, Luxana occasionally. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Those two like each other and don't have a whole lot going on. It could be like... Uh, Lord knows she's not getting any other grandchildren, so... Yep. <laughs> Deanna's like, great, she's threatening to come visit. Why don't we send Alexander? You know, Alexander, you haven't visited uh, Counselor Troy's mother in a while. Please, Father, no! <laughs> so long. The higher, the fewer. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, you little shit. <laughs> it's that or I beat you. Anyway, I'm going to go punch God. It's that or the belt. <laughs> oh, God, I've seen Klingon belts. Please, no. Well, that's what the sash is for, apparently. Got to buckle the size of your forehead. Why do you Why do you do his voice as Mickey Mouse? <laughs> but, oh. Father! 
Oh, father! Because <laughs> it sounds exactly like him. Yeah, it's pretty close, actually. All right. Any further additional things we should say? Um, um, just Kalos was really like uh, Matt was saying. His his big cloak is is fantastic. He's got a big like white fur outfit that actually yeah. somehow doesn't look incredibly gay. No, I actually thought it really looked like the Klingons on uh, Stovacor in in. Uh... Wait, no, uh, Rurpenthe in uh, Star Trek Six. A bit, yeah, I could see that. At that sort of uh, Russian look to him. Yeah. And he's just like this, this, he's he's short, but he's he's all barrel-chested. He looks like Launchpad McQuack, he's just all upper body, like yep. no legs, and he's just a fantastic Klingon. Well, that's what a Klingon is, no legs. Super yep. powerful. Apparently. There, okay. There's this great, when he when he first shows up in the monastery, mm-hmm. and they're trying to prove that he's really Kalis. First, they ask him a bunch of questions that only, you know, some people know about Kalis. And then he tells them a story. And then they look at him, and he looks like a poster they have of Kalis hanging <laughs> over in the back there. So he's well, probably Kalis. That's, that's the final test. Does he look, oh, yep, he looks just like the poster. Yeah, because you can't, you know, make dudes look like other dudes. We firmly established that. No, we haven't had that technology since, like, episode five of the original series. Yeah. Definitely not. Uh, his story checks out. Yeah, that's about right. And I love, I love that fucking Kalis poster in the background. Looks like a <laughs> you brought that up a number of magazine. times. <laughs> it looks like a commemorative plate. Yes. Which incidentally are painted with lead paint, and you can't eat off of them. In case you were wondering. Yeah, I remember. I found that out a long time ago, and I was really mad about it. Yeah, they're plates. The hell else are they for? If I wanted a painting, I'd fucking buy one. Yeah. Well, no, because when you found out about that, you were probably 11, and you probably couldn't. True. Just buy one. My mom would not buy me a painting or a plate. Right. Ah, uh, your mom. She'd buy you a painting? I'd eat off of that. I think it's time to move on now. Fair enough. Any final thoughts? Mm, no. That don't involve planting? Because really, that's uh, that's what that's what broke the camel's back here. Sorry. No, here's my quote. Long ago... A storm was heading toward the city of Quinlat. The people sought protection within the walls, all except one man who remained outside. I went to him and asked what he was doing. I am not afraid, he said. I will not hide my face behind stone and mortar. I will stand before the wind and make it respect me. I honored his choice and went inside. The next day, the storm came, and the man was killed. The wind does not respect a fool. Do not stand before the wind, Garan. What was his name? What? If you were really there, you should be able to tell us the name of the man outside the walls. Describe him to us. What was he wearing? How tall was he? What color were his eyes? I do not remember. (laughs) That's a great quote. (laughs) He's so confrontational about it. (laughs) Thanks for not setting it up in any way so I don't have any idea what the hell I'm listening to. (laughs) Oh, we do have fun. Alright, seriously, any any additional things? I think that's it. Yeah, I think we're good. Alright. Flonk, this is the episode you chose, so obviously you have it is. A, a fondness or a, or a mockery or something of it. No, I just picked it kind of randomly. Oh, alright then. Tell us then about Second Chances. This time on Star Trek The Next Generation, a mysterious stranger comes aboard the Enterprise and Troy falls in love with him. All right, so it's a little more complicated than that. (laughs) The stranger isn't that mysterious. See, eight years ago, our favorite Beardo, William T. Riker, was lieutenant on an away mission to a dangerous planet. The beam out got a little hinky, and the beam split in two, and thanks to the greenhouse effect, the second beam was reflected (laughs) back to the planet. Now we have two Rikers. Keep things simple, I'll call our Riker Bill and the other one Nails. Billiam and Will Jr. do not get along. (laughs) For the rest of the crew, though, this is business as usual. Transport duplicate? We've been dealing with that for a hundred years. Remember the time a behooved pedophile brought us to the other side of the universe? That was weird. 
It seems the only thing that got Raker 2 through those cold, lonely nights was the sweet image of one Deanna Troy. Yeah, we've all been there, buddy. Lucky for him, the ship has one of those. Deanna, of course, has moved on with her life, mostly. So Alterna Riker opens his book of romantic comedy cliches and sets out to win her back. Professionally, however, things are not going so well. Though, to be fair, his commanding officer is literally all of his stolen potential and also hates him. This zit comes to a head in an extremely tense poker game where ketchup beats mustard, as it always does, and Jin and Worf stare uncomfortably at their cards, hoping for something, anything to happen so they can just leave. The next morning, everyone goes downstairs to finish the mission, and after some not-at-all-predictable danger, the Rikers overcome their similarities and become BFF. Having learned a valuable lesson, Thomas Riker gets shipped off to the hood where he'll be no Cardassian at all. <laughs> okay, that's a bit of that that that's a bit of foreshadowing that I don't think everyone would maybe uh... the, the tragic tale of Tommy Riker. Right. <laughs> Let's just say he'll be plenty of Cardassian at all and leave it at that. <laughs> Ketchup always does indeed beat mustard also. That was that was I've idea. never thought of that before in relation to Star Trek and it was hilarious. Yes, yes it was. Yes. What does that make the blue guys then? Relish. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah, no, they do get more green as the as you get into Deep Space Nine. That's true. See, I'm blue green colorblind, so I can't tell. Ah, oh well, then trust me, it's relish. Ugh. Oh, in that case, yeah, it's like relish. Bright, you know, well, that so. that uh, that falls under the war on pickles. Yeah, and, yeah. Although I'm a science officer, sometimes uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, blue looks good on you. That's the thing. It's yeah. like it's blue. It's definitely blue. It's not green. I'm so confused. In any event, <laughs> yes. So, all right uh, then. Uh, you have a good thing. Where's this? him? Me? The flock. Okay, flock. I just reached over this and grabbed the steering wheel. Yes. Uh, right, so I was waiting to hear something, and nothing was. I was happening. waiting for someone to tell me what to do. Yes. Someone, someone made the decision. Make the decision for me. <laughs> Uh, all right, so my good thing is is Frakes. I know you guys are trying to get away from talking about the actors every week, but but this is a special situation because mm-hmm. he's playing two different characters, but they're also the same character. Yep. And he pulls it off perfectly. It's really hard to describe. You can easily tell that these are two different people, uh, but they're not. There's a, there's a lot to Thomas Riker, like the way he, he, he parts his hair differently. He's got this bit of a nervous smile. Yeah. I, He's obviously a different guy, but you're right. He's, he's the same definitely guy. not as um. That's what I'm looking for here. Uh, I don't know. Like he's not as sure of himself as uh. Right. Well, he's been. also been alone for eight years, and yeah, we talked about this. How that he probably should have yeah played it more antisocial and and creepy. But on the, the other pro- hand, you gotta yeah, that they have two interesting stories to tell with with the stuff with Dan and then the stuff of just being a guy who was trapped on a planet for eight years and, and like readjusting. Right yeah, yeah, you, you can, can only a, tell one you of those can do stories. A story so, about yeah. about a guy trapped on a planet for eight years anytime. Right. It doesn't have to be this one. And yeah, they have they have a unique situation here. You should really not just tell the story. You could do anytime because yeah. you get you know this unique story. Although I will say I was very impressed that they didn't decide at the end to have Tommy try to kill Bill. And take his place or whatever. Well, there was there there was talk briefly that they entertained the idea that they would kill off our our Bill, old Bill, <laughs> and leave us with you know the the young hotness who is actually exactly the same age. <laughs> the exactly the same age hotness, right? But uh, that didn't happen. That could have been an interesting shift. I don't know that I would have loved it, but at least it would have shaken things up a little. That's true. No, we, yeah, we were like talking about alert. that. Uh... It's like you were talking about with uh, Best of Both Worlds coming off Picard. Like it, it, it was like we're glad they didn't, but it would have been an interesting way to yeah. take the story. Right. Also, it felt like he was going to die in that bit where uh, toward the end, where well, they're both in danger and and so forth. I mean, you know, you bring in someone's double; they're probably not going to make it through the episode. Right. It was a bit surprising at the end to find that he had. Yeah. And also that Deanna kind of led him on and said, "Sure." We'll try to make this work. So long. Yeah, no. Yeah. God, they couldn't even cover their giggles up until he got onto the transporter. <laughs> now sure, I'll wait for you. Now let's. Wow, does he sound like Alexander? <laughs> oh! That's unfortunate, Matt. That opens up a whole can of gah. It's actually supposed to be Deanna, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Does that long, sound like Deanna? <laughs> I love you, Bill! It sounds like Minnie Mouse. Oh! <laughs> Well, Mickey and Minnie do sound entirely different, so I stand corrected. No, you're right, acting-wise, though. 
he definitely comes off as an entirely different character and yet the same character. There's there's some great acting stuff going yeah. on there. I actually I really liked watching those two play off of each other. Yep. <laughs> those <Yeah>. two. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, those Rikers! Especially when they were passing the uh, the the stick back and forth to each other very carefully, <laughs> standing there in, in, on either side of that vertical line. Yes, very strange. Sitting across the table from each other because it looks better. <laughs> well, when they yeah, when they sit down at the poker game, exactly. Yeah, they they given that it was made in what ninety three, they did uh, some pretty good. Yeah, they did some pretty good tech stuff. Like, they didn't do that divided down the center line. No. There would have been some of that technology, uh, not quite CG, but better than, you know. Yeah, definitely like green screen. They, they, yeah. they definitely managed to make it look pretty good. Yeah, they did. There are very few scenes where, like, I mean, there's never any obvious, like, cut lines or whatever. Yeah, there's never any, like, Shatner wrestling with the stunt double. Like, there, there's, this there's is, a... This, you can... They did a really good job. Yeah. There's a couple, like, there's a scene where um, they're basically face-to-face. Yep. And then the only problem with that one is that they're really not looking each other in the eye. Right. Well, it's hard to find that eye line. Yeah, exactly. It but, I mean, for the most as... part, they do a really good job of it. Yeah, they do. And and a lot of that has to do, again, with the acting. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, technically you could pull all that off, but if you don't believe two different guys are talking to each other, that's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And they do, and it's great. So- Scenes like that must be so difficult for the actual actors yeah. to, to well, film. Undoubtedly, but then I, I will bring you back to uh, Family, where Spiner had to play Data, Lore, and Soon. Oh, absolutely. Against no other characters. <laughs> like, that's the one to beat, I think. Yeah. Like, this is bad, but at least Deanna was in some of these scenes, and Worf and Data were in some of these scenes. And, you know. Worf and Data had a real Greek chorus thing going on in this one. Yeah. They just mostly just hung off to the side, actually. But, yeah, it was... And once again, we're reminded just how terrible a poker wharf is. Yeah. Yeah. That was... That's a fun running gag that I never noticed before, but I'm definitely going to be looking for it now. Like, how many cards do you want? Uh, all of them. This time, for sure. How much do you bet? I fold. I got this theory that uh, wharf owes, like, ten grand to Bever. He owes ten grand to everyone, and Bever is the worst one, and he even owes ten grand to her. Every night, she every night she breaks his legs and then resets them. <laughs> Very nice, uh, Matt. You're a good thing. Uh when Tommy sees D for the first time, it's a really beautiful, sweet, genuinely done scene. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, this may be the best Bill and Troy romance episode we've ever had on this. Well, and we talked about this. Really, the only other one that any of us could think of was Menasha Troy in yeah. season like three or four. It, and that it, wasn't even a um, like a, a an episode about them. They just stuck no, they them just together and to go on a date together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it feels like there should have been other episodes about their relationship, but then I think I might it might just be from me reading Imzadi. That could be. Which Imzadi said that uh, William T. Riker, the T, stood for Thelonious. Yeah. And now Peter David's throwing his hat down on the ground and stomping on it because <laughs> Thomas. Poor guy. Uh, yeah. Thomas is short for Thelonious. <laughs> I can make that work. I think he actually... And he just joined the crew of the Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, that's the ticket. And just died. <laughs> no, Thelonious was the other transporter triplicate. <laughs> There's three of them. He's the severely <laughs> degraded one. Yeah, <laughs> it's like multiplicity. Yeah, exactly. I have a wallet. <laughs> it's a piece of no, you don't. We don't have money. <laughs> I, I um, love if there was a third Riker clone wearing a blue uh, blue shirt. But wearing it backwards. Yes! <laughs> like the communicator's on his back. Hey, brother. <laughs> hey, careful. Don't, don't get us into that now. Hey, brother. Hey, hey brother. We'll go down that that well, and we'll never come back out. Um, no, it was it was a great Riker Troy story, and like I said, we all thought about it, and I think it's the only one. Yeah, which made it even better because it was done so well, and we've we've had this undercurrent of a relationship for years now, mm-hmm. and it's nice to actually take some time and explore that. Yeah, no, the, we certainly learn more about that relationship than we ever did. Like we finally find out why they broke up in the first place. Right, and it's because of him and his career. Yeah. But, Which, I don't know, that doesn't sound like 
the Riker we have now. And I mean, that's probably a lot to do with the fact that, you know, he's made commander and he doesn't really want to go anywhere now, but like the idea of sort of a, a Riker who was fast tracking himself to be captain. Right. You know, that's very different than what we have now. Well, and I think that's the point. I think this yeah. came up in best of both worlds. And I think it's come up here is that he used to take chances and now he's, you know, now he's where he wants to be and he slowed down a little bit. Well, he's being responsible. He's a grown up now. Right. But to get to this point, he did cut a lot of corners and take a lot of chances and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I really like it. And it is, I always think of this as one of the best Riker episodes, and it is, but I always forget how much of a, of a Deanna episode it is also. Yeah. And it's quite Which good, is good. Right? I mean, those two are tied together. They, they should yeah. feature heavily in each other's episodes. And that whole Imzadi thing, if you hadn't read the books, Mm-hmm. We were talking about this. It's a subtle thing that they mentioned like once. I don't even think you know what it means. No, it comes up. It comes up in comes up the counter far point when they set it up, yeah. and then it comes up again in Troy loses her powers and turns into a bitch. Yep. And then it's because she's she's making fun of it. And it was, it was <laughs> I mean, one or two other times just in passing. But I just like that it's this thing that they've never fully explained. Mm-hmm. It's just this cute term of endearment that they use. Yeah. And it's if you're not paying attention, you don't know what it is. But it's I don't know. I like I like the little details like that. I wish it, it's one of those, those. It's one of those sci-fi things, sort of like uh, when you can't, sort of like uh, when you replace curse words with made-up stuff mm-hmm. that shouldn't work, but it does in this case. Yeah, I like that. that. Absolutely. Um, okay, so my good thing. Yes. What's your good thing, Al? Thank you. Thank you, driver. <laughs> you're a driver. <laughs> I, oh. Let the record show I have never driven. Yes. Um, one thing the show manages to do really well is take ideas that should be stupid, just stale and boring and, and, and terrible on paper and make them interesting. This is effectively an evil twin episode, except that Carpet Tax is neither evil nor a twin. <laughs> I mean, you know how when we get a Braga episode and I say stop inventing stupid technology and use the established tech to tell a cool story that explores the characters in some way? I'm always saying that. That's the thing I'm constantly saying. It's, it's, it's your catchphrase. It's on the T-shirts. Yeah, I need to get that boiled down to a, to an acronym, but uh, S I S N T, yeah, and so on. Um, this is what I mean. It's a uniquely Star Trek story. It's it's the transporter did blah blah this and this and that, but it's also basic character exploration. Like they managed to take a Star Trek idea and turn it into shit. What if I turned into a completely different person eight years ago? And suddenly I was face-to-face with the guy that didn't make those yeah. choices. Like, it's, yeah. it's a very cool idea. Yeah. But like, they also could have fucked it up in so many ways, and they didn't. It's like you were saying when we were doing Tapestries. This is totally Riker's Tapestries episode. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Without the, um, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge angle. Right, without the <laughs> failure. Yeah. He doesn't exactly have a failure pile. He's just got a... No matter what, Will Riker will succeed. Yeah. He's just got a sad painting. Right. That he spent eight years making. I drew you a picture because of the love. Because <laughs> of the love and stuff. I didn't talk a lot while I was down there. It's hard. Just masturbated a lot. Like, almost constantly. I mean, That's not. Uh, I also learned not to... He was uh, wearing these big Popeye arms when he came up. Yeah, <laughs> one big Popeye arm. No, no, no. Both. He became you didn't get bored. You gotta switch up. things up. Yeah, Tonight exactly. we're strangering it. <laughs> No, he was he did it for so long that it's not even strangering it anymore. He used his feet for that. <laughs> Look, the guy has a has a libido and he was alone, okay? You guys want to see me do chin-ups with my dick? No. No. Why do you keep no asking one us wants that? to see that? <laughs> I mean the real Riker can do that, but okay. The um the beginning of this episode has one of my favorite just little tiny little moments between Troy and Riker. Which is he's up there playing his uh, his tromboner, and um, and he says, "Okay, any requests? Nightbird. Um, any requests? Any anything at all? Nightbird. <laughs> Fine. And apparently, it's this song that he hasn't been able to get right for ten years or whatever. And it's just yep. it's this really cute moment between them. I like it a lot." Nobody wants to be the dude calling out Nightbird at a concert, Deanna. No, that's that's Freebird. No, whatever. That's free chicken. Look, there's only like three birds in space, okay? Well, there's the great bird of the galaxy. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not very nice. (laughs) 
I have been mean to Gene in a while. That's true. Gene! <laughs> I knew it! I thought he was that guy! <laughs> Flonk, tell uh, me a bad thing. Uh, Alright, um... My bad thing is that everything gets wrapped up a little too neatly. Yeah, Nails and Bill can't work together until they can because there's five minutes left in the episode. Troy and Plambert have a whirlwind <laughs> romance. <laughs> have a whirlwind romance until they don't. I understand it's the nature of the show to not have running plot lines, but they could have shipped off TWR without tying up every single loose thread. Now you, you lost me on TWR. Thomas William Riker. Oh. Wouldn't it be W. Thomas Riker? Whatever. Like C. Thomas That's- Howell? That's his writing science fiction uh, name. No, wouldn't that be Dorothy Fontana? (laughs) That's what he calls himself when he writes science fiction, Dorothy Fontana. (laughs) No, I I agree. I'm still surprised they didn't kill him off, though. Leaving him alive was still a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, no, you're right. It was all... Both get back into the transporter and and, and see what happens. Like, one of those things. (laughs) Kill us both, Spock. (laughs) All right. Sure. No, you're right, though. It, it it did have that very neat, we have to tie up every loose end kind of thing going on. Which, unfortunately, is just the nature of episodic yeah, TV once again. Yeah, particularly at this time in this show. Like, you know, yeah. whatever. That's what they do. Uh, and, and that said, we did spend 45 minutes basically ruminating on a character, on his choices and his relationship, and, like, there was no deadly danger until that very last act. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't shoehorn in that stupid... Oh, and yeah. also there's something wrong with the ship. Also, there's a nebula that's trying to eat us. Right. Yeah, or, like, the fact that they're both on the ship together means the ship's going to blow up. Right. No, they just told a nice, quiet character story, which, very briefly... And we all were wondering, why were they on the planet? What were they after? Apparently it was some kind of ship's logs, but nobody knew. Yeah, they never actually said what it was. So yeah, it was, was very weird. important. There was a very narrow window for them to get the, the They the logs really the needed that database. Gotta get that serum through. <laughs> but yeah, we didn't, like, I thought, okay, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but nope. if, if that's true, you know, neither were you two. None of us caught was, it, and um, we also, I also went on Memory Alpha to check it out, and yeah, then nothing. It just says that, you know, they have to get back down there. Get that <laughs> Commander, we're through. sending you down to the planet to find the very top secret MacGuffin files. <laughs> very well. Uh, here I go. Apparently. Off I go, apparently. <laughs> Matt. Hi. Bad thing. So, I actually had a hard time finding a bad thing in this episode. I really dug this one. But there's a yeah. scene where Data talks to Worf and wonders what it would be like to be confronted by a double of yourself. <laughs> really, Data? You can't imagine what that would be like. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Also, and, you know, I'm going to admit this is nitpicky, but fuck it. I wish Tommy had looked a little bit more different than Bill. You know, he was alone on the planet for eight years. He should look ragged or maybe has shaved his beard off or something. Well, okay, first of all, you can't have him shave his beard off. Because, listen, I have a beard like that, and mm-hmm. it takes a while to grow back. Yeah, it, it takes, takes a couple weeks. weeks to grow back. He's got a show to make. Yeah, exactly. And he did Are you have... kidding? It's fucking uh, Jonathan Frakes. He can grow that thing back in 15 minutes. No, 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 no. He's not Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying I have a beard like that. Like, we grow the same beard. It's literally the same beard. Like, I stole it from him. Yes. I stole it and dyed it to fit my face. <laughs> they stole Frakes' beard. <laughs> no, it takes a while. And he did have a puffier, sort of rattier beard. That's true. Which... What it did kind of look like they they just added a second beard onto his right. normal one. Now I have particularly on his mustache. Yeah. No, and that's what happens when I let mine go too. It looks sort of puffy. It doesn't it doesn't go crazy. Like he he really should have been one of you said should have been Borger everywhere. Riker. Yeah. But then that would have lessened the impact of the Borger everywhere Riker. Yes. Which yeah. Which should have been his own action figure, I just realized. And they should have called it that, too. Well, yes, the Borger Everywhere, from the episode entitled The Borger Everywhere. Yes. Borger Everywhere, Riker comes with, let's see, a gun to shoot himself. <laughs> comes with nothing. No. Comes with no hope. A board bor- put him together. to wrap around his, he- around his neck, yep. and uh, incredible despair. Yep. And no tea. <laughs> the incredible despair is a slime packet you can dump on him. Uh, fucking 90s. <laughs> it was about slime. No, but really, what what would you have done to make him look more the way you wanted? I don't know. I get. I we also talked about this. And yeah, I can't remember yeah, if we did it was, before. 
the show or crazy hair. Yeah, crazy hair. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Like he had last of... week in Frame of Mind. Yeah. All right. Give him, give him a nice scar over his eye. That's always a good one. An eye patch. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it goes back to what we were saying before: is they 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 had they could tell one of two stories, and mm-hmm. they went with the one where he has to romance, so he can't look crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Troy's gone for some crazy ones before. <laughs> I do like you pointing out in your summary that uh, a stranger came on board and she fell in love again. That is <laughs> like essential. you do. Yeah. It has been a while since we tackled one of those. And actually, it's another one of those things that we treated as a as a cliche that doesn't happen nearly as much as as maybe we. That's when it happened like a lot early on, and then yeah, and, it but certainly happened like more often. Say the ship thing where it, it happened in a shuttle. Yeah, well, Worf lost the shuttle now once. Yeah, and that was no, to a there's been officer. like three of them. No, there hasn't. No, because the kid stole one. Yeah, the kid took one, and then Beverly, who outranks him, Beverly took, took one, one and doesn't I think really there was count. another one. Nope, there was not. I mean, feel free to feel free to, to correct me, but uh, I don't think that there is because we've been counting. Yeah, we've been looking for that like since the since we started. In any case, we are 150 episodes in, and it's happened at best three times. Yeah, I think only two, and only one of those really counts because the other one was from a senior officer. Yeah, she she's allowed that shuttle. Right. Well, she brings it back in reasonable condition. Right. Exactly. Well, she was driving it into a sun. There was no guarantee of that. No. I guess that's a good point. Okay, my bad thing. What's your bad thing, Al? So, thank you, Matt. <laughs> um, so, I, I talked about the technology and about how, you know, they're using existing technology, whatever. Except, now that this accident's happened, couldn't somebody just duplicate it and make a thousand gold ducats or cons or something? I mean, if this is the world we're playing in, you kind of have to consider the implications of every new thing you introduce into it. I don't care how it works, but I do care how things affect things that happen later. I am consistently fascinated by how scary the transporter really is. Yeah, I think it's a thing they introduced as a uh, as a convenience, and then you realize, shit, if this is how it works, mm-hmm. then we've got all kinds of weird things that could happen. Like, I like the fact that they brought it in so that, because they couldn't land the original Enterprise. That right. was the reason. Right. It was cheaper to just have people yeah, appear on the Too expensive planet. to have shuttles going around, so we'll right. just turn the camera off and everybody walks onto the stage. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, so this thing breaks people down, and it can do all this weird shit, and it's been doing weird shit since the original – since early in the original series, since too. I think the first the one – Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Enterprise yeah, one of the, sort what, of grafted all that on later, but really mm-hmm. it supposedly started happening around Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually – it was a really good one, actually, um, where the guy who invented the transporter um, shows up, and uh, it's a transporter episode, so something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. No, I remember in the pilot them talking about how we have this thing, but it's only for cargo and you can't use it ever. And I'm like, cool, that's a cool thing to have. And then they yeah. used it. It's like, well, never mind then. No, I, I do. I like the idea of everyone being fucking scared of the transporter because it's there's. Weird. That's actually yeah. um, the, something that they did do well as as the as the show progressed. They got more and more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. To there's one where like there's a big action sequence and they have to get over to the other ship, and the two guys just they, it's not in the dialogue at all. They just like give each other like an uneasy look before they beam over. It was it was mm-hmm. done really well. I like the idea that them if they use the transport in the first episode, uh, they hadn't had the Heisenberg or Heisenberg compensator put in yet. That's my favorite bit of, of techno babble. Yeah, well, it's like there's the Heisenberg principle. So how do we how do we get around it with the Heisenberg compensator? Yeah, we got a compensator in. Yeah, I mean, how how would you do it? We have well, it, what it does is it beams you up and it turns you into blue meth and then it beams you back down. <laughs> and then you beam in with a hat. Yes, that's how it works. No, I, I just, I think, okay, so you can create transporter duplicates of people. So, yeah, yeah why doesn't, why don't they just make infinite, you know, They did armies? go through, like, great lengths to say this was just a weird one-in-a-million shot. The frequency of the transporter just happened to have the exact same frequency as the mm-hmm. atmospheric disturbance. Something weird so. to do with the planet and the atmosphere that we can only get through eight, every eight years or whatever. I yeah. suppose. I don't know. Whenever, whenever they start tweaking the uh, the technology like this, though, it just makes me wonder. You know, are there other stories to tell here? Yeah. A, you no, know, you're you're right. But if they if they techno babble their way out of it, then I I retract my good thing or my bad thing rather. Then uh, my my bad thing instead would be his uh, his really hokey uh, romantic gestures of of leaving notes and flowers in very dangerous places for uh, for Deanna to find. Yeah. See, I Some like that. It works thought... in TV, but not so much. 
when you think I, about it. I thought that that I thought I thought that was another really well executed moment that could have gone really bad. Well, and it yeah. might just be because uh because of uh Deanna looking just so cute while she's looking around. Well yeah, that's probably what it is. You when you she uh when she pulls the thing off of the 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 warp the warp, the warp drive and Jordy comes up behind her and can I help you? Nope. Yeah, that is adorable, but on the other hand, you know, if he's putting a uh, if he's putting a flower into a highly radioactive Oh yeah, chamber, no, it's super fucking dangerous. Okay. That's all. If I'm he saying. hadn't been alone on the fucking planet for 8 years, he wouldn't uh, he probably would have known that. Right. Fucking but, you know. dumbass Thomas Riker. <laughs> God, what's wrong with you, Tom? <laughs> fucking lucky you didn't burn Deanna's arm off. Ugh. Well, he'll just beam her another one, I guess. But it was still sweet. Yeah, it was it was very sweet. All right. What about you guys? You got further business? Because that's all I got. I'm checking now. No, that's it. Oh, Bill grabs his own butt. That's fun. <laughs> well, wouldn't you? If I was Riker? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'd be all over myself. I'd be I'd be putting a third beard on those two beards. <laughs> I just I was waiting that entire the entire episode for uh Deanna to put out the idea of a three way. Well. If the show were made now, I bet they would. Yep. And they go on, through we, with it. Come too. on, I we can do this. Yeah. We're adults, we can handle this, right? Well, all right. It's not gonna get weird, is it? Well, if you touch Unless me, we want it to. Weird. Yeah. Look, it can get as weird as you want it to be, okay? <laughs> It got weird, didn't it? <laughs> did you just Austin Powers? Oh God, I did too. Unacceptable! Wow, right, this interview is over. You're you're fired twice. You're twicely fired. Oh good, that means I work here again, yeah. or possibly it means I'm vice president. Vice president. Sure. <laughs> now we've now we've created a crossover. <laughs> uh, Flonk, any further business? Uh, yeah, there was during their their away missions. Um, Commander Riker, every time Lieutenant Riker would screw something up, uh, Commander would just get disgusted with him. And it was hilarious. And you know that goes through Riker's head every time he messes something up. Just now he has a a physical thing to get angry at. I'm such a Thomas. I I love the (laughs) idea of a physical representation of everything you hate about yourself. Yeah, I I call it myself. Yeah. Comedy writer, you see. It's like finally a face I can punch where people won't get mad at me. Yeah, they really did, and Worf loved yelling at him, too. Yeah, yeah. what that was about. All right. Oh, and uh, and and Deanna got something out of a replicator that wasn't chocolate, so see, character growth. Yeah, that was shocking. We all three had that same note, too. Oh, great, here's chocolate. Hey! Oh, and then when, uh, when she gets down to ten forward and there's the box, and I'm like, oh, here's the chocolate. Nope. Mm-hmm. No, it was a painting. Yeah, unless it's made of chocolate. Could be. Did you make it out of chocolate, Tommy? <laughs> well, he knows the old Troy. Yeah. He doesn't know that she's actually got a, a dimension now. <laughs> Just one. I mean, you know, baby steps. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. Yeah. All right. Anything else? That's it. Got a quote for us there, Mr. Flunk? Yeah, why don't you yes. give us your, your quote, Flunk? Yes. It goes thusly. I've practiced in the mirror too long to be fooled by that face. You're bluffing. Here's your hundred. And 20 more. I got yelled at last time I used thusly. Oh, well, they can yell at me, then. I take full responsibility. Actually, oh, they will. Because I used thusly at the live show. Oh. And Gav was watching the feed, and he's like, thusly? You son of a bitch! Yep. Look, I, I took everything I could use, okay? Which reminds me, we have uh, put in for a panel at the uh, Rose City Comic Con, which is late September in Portland. Mm-hmm. If we get that, uh, which, you know, fingers crossed, that will be for uh, Star Trek First Contact, which we will be stealing from Flonk Aww. to do in front of a live audience. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. It's only the best movie. Fine. <laughs> yeah, the the best... That's like valedictorian of summer school. The best next-gen movie. I have a weird fondness for Insurrection. Yeah, I know yeah. I'm alone in that, but... You should come back for that one, because why... <laughs> It's half a good movie. No, it isn't. It's That's not a good movie. That's how I feel about movie. First Contact. In the second half, once Picard puts on his <sighs> leather jacket, then everything falls apart. But the first half, I like. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm for Picard to kick a little ass, I think. My my favorite one of the four is Generations, and I still maintain wow. that all four of those movies are terrible. Yeah. At best, that I, I love fun. Generations because um, in the in the um, commentary track, it's it's Ron Moore and Brandon Braga 
uh, wrote it. And they're like, first thing we did was come up with the poster, which was the two Enterprises firing on each other. Mm-hmm. And we somehow ended up with Kirk and Picard making eggs. I don't know where <laughs> we went wrong. Oh, dear. Well, you got that to look forward to in any case. And hopefully our live show. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But we're working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, as ever, postatomichorror at Gmail is the... Uh, it's the email address, postatomichorror.com is the website. Flonk, you got anything you want to tell people or um, ask people or anything? Mm, no. Right. I thought I did, but apparently I don't. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> All right, Matt. Take us out. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.